The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There you go. It's good to be here with you this morning and to to share in God's Word together. Um, I don't know about you, um, I, I didn't grow up in, in the church, and I, I made, I suppose, the assumption that I think most people make these days, which is that Christmas is the big event in the calendar year, right? When it comes to the story of Jesus, Christmas is exciting. Everyone likes Christmas, kids like Christmas, you've got a barn filled with animals, how much more exciting can you get? Uh, you've got presents, you've got trees, you've got all the celebrations. And then, of course, coming into the church, finding out that, that Easter is actually the big thing was, was something of a surprise to me, but I have come to, to love the celebration of Easter. I think what I like about it is, is that it's one of those few times as a year where um, it's, it's one of my favourite routines of worship, I suppose you could say, because it's, it's, it's a thing we do often as churches, isn't it, where we, um, we, we slow down and then in, in real time, we kind of week by week reenact the events of the Easter story. You kind of get yourself, you, you find yourself in the headspace of the first century. Here we are today celebrating, you know, the thing that happened this Sunday in the first century, uh, and then by the time we gather again on Easter Sunday, we'll be celebrating a resurrection. This is, this is real time. This is how long apart these, these events took place. Don't you think it's weird? I, I wonder if the, the, the people in the first century who were standing around at the triumphal entry watching Jesus walk in, I, I wonder if those people realised that they were with their own eyes looking at the events which are of central significance in the existence of the human race. Um, We've we've lived through a little bit of history over the last two years that I think we're going to remember for a long time. These people watched the meaning of life happen. Um, Today we are going to be looking at the triumphal entry. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem way earlier in the book of Luke. Um, We're told that just at some point during his public ministry, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and then just began the journey south from the north down um, through the Holy Land towards Jerusalem for the final um, confrontation. And so there's been this building sense of anticipation leading towards today. Um, Jesus' arrival in the city of Jerusalem was nothing short of spectacular. Um, every event organiser, everyone who's ever tried to, to sell tickets to a, to a prize fight and getting the crowd whipped up into a frenzy could look at these events and learn a thing or two about how to make an entrance, couldn't they? Um, Jesus' arrival was with fanfare, with song, with shouts of praise, crowds, hubbub, hullabaloo, all of, all of the things. Um, and yet, at the same time, the triumphal entry is a bittersweet day, isn't it? For, for just one day, for just one moment, for one morning, God's special people, God's chosen people, welcomed their coming king in the way that he always deserves to be welcomed. 
Jesus, Jesus arrived to the sorts of praise that is his due, is his right. For a day, some portion of this rebellious world, which stands as God's enemies, got it right. And we, we, we celebrated the arrival of God with shouts of praise. And yet, what a difference a week can make. If we were living in Jerusalem on that week in the first century, today would be the day when we, along with a great multitude of other people, stood outside the road to the city, welcoming the coming Messiah with shouts of praise and triumph, throwing palm branches and cloaks on the road before him so that the feet of his donkey wouldn't even have to touch the dirt. By the way, the cloaks I get, the palm branches not so much. I, I, we've got a lot of palm trees scattered around our backyard at the moment, and I can tell you, walking on palm branches isn't pleasant. I would prefer the dirt. Hopefully it wasn't a date palm, the worst of all palms. <laughs> Poor donkey, he would never have walked again. And yet by this, this, like by, this, by this time, this coming Friday, that same Jesus, that same man who was welcomed with such fanfare would be hanging outside the city gates once again, but this time on a cross, dying. The one who was welcomed with shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was crucified between two thieves as the worst sort of Christmas. Seven days, less. What's the difference between Sunday and Friday? Five, probably. So that means that for the followers of Jesus, this week that we are about to live represents <laughs> um, their most exciting day ever in their lives thus far and their worst day ever in their lives ever come within a week of each other. If, if you think of your life, what's, what's, like, what's the best day of your life and what's the worst day of your life? They probably aren't five days apart. Um, I say thus far because, of course, after the, after the crucifixion, there was a resurrection which blows today out of the water. This was a wildly emotional time. And it kind of leaves us with an urgent question, which is uh, one that has heaps of relevance to us. The question is, how do we get from... Hosanna to crucify him in the space of a week. How do we go from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to away with him in five days? There is, there is some debate over exactly how much overlap there is between the two crowds. Do you understand? The, the ones standing before the, the Sanhedrin and Pilate are not necessarily the ones um, standing outside the city gates shouting, but there was certainly more than no overlap. There were some people, mostly from the, the religious rulers and the elites, um, the religious leaders who stood outside the city walls that day, that first Palm Sunday, um, hearts elated, thinking it's finally happening. Messiah's here. We're going to be set free. Who less than a week later were filled with rage at this man and his audacity before Pilate, shouting away with him, give us Barabbas. Um, there were, of course, others who, who stood amongst the crowd at the triumphal entry, already plotting and scheming in jealousy. This bloke is a problem that needs, needs to be dealt with. And, of course, there were those who rejoiced in his arrival on Sunday who deeply grieved his death on Friday. But what is going on in the hearts of those who 
who change their minds. That's, 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 that's the thing that I find of interest today. What is it that provokes that kind of a, of a difference in our response? Why don't we look a bit more closely at the story? We are, of course, in Luke 19, if you'd like to read along. Um, I'll pick it up from verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I'm going to try that one day just to see if it works. Yeah. And what are you doing getting into that Lamborghini, Matt? Well, the Lord has need of it. Oh, be on your way then. So those who were sent away and found it, uh, sorry, so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole, check this, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Okay, this is where we get to the Hosannas from. Feel, this is a good place to stop and just feel the weight of expectation and hope that sits on today. The build-up to this day wasn't years long. It was generations long. These people have been waiting since the days of their grandfathers' grandfathers' grandfathers for the events that they are witnessing. Think about the, um, the most exciting things in life that we ever wait for and how exciting they are when they finally arrive. The time between, will you marry me? And the wedding, which, by the way, should be six months and no longer. <laughs> the time between I'm pregnant and we have a baby in our arms I can, I can interact with. The time be between um, purchasing on the website and the online delivery arriving at the door, which feels like an eternity every time. It's, it's, a, it's a delightful wait. They, they had been waiting for generations Ever since the exile in the Old Testament, when the people of God had lost their place in the promised land and been set off to captivity in Babylon, they had had in their hands the writings of the pre- and post-exilic prophets, the, the, our Old Testament, telling them that a day is coming when, when God would send His anointed to the Hebrew nation, His Messiah is going to come and He's going to be delivering the kingdom, that God has an anointed king who is going to sit on the throne of David forever. These, this is what they've been waiting for. And as they've read their Old Testament for generations, they've largely all came to the same conclusion. This guy's really coming. We should be waiting for a literal Messiah. Right? And then it started happening. They've been watching for the last three years of Jesus' public ministry, some spectacular things taking place that are just stoking the fires of hope in their heart. Is it, is it, is it now? Is this Messiah time? Um, for example, they've noticed that prophecies have started to be fulfilled. Today is one. Zechariah 9.9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And they look up to the top of the hill and here he comes with a crowd. People are laying their, their, their clothes. These are not rich people. Clothes are expensive. Laying their clothes on the road as the donkey comes down the hill. They've read Zechariah. They've been reading it their whole life. The coming of God's king into Jerusalem was predicted. And then after that, there was hundreds of years, hundreds of years of relative silence as they waited for God to fulfill his his many promises. There'd been some near misses as they waited. Is is this the Messiah? No, 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 not him, right? Uh, There'd been some, some confusion. Whenever a religious leader rocked up on the scene for hundreds of years, someone like John the Baptist, the people were looking at their Old Testament and asking, who, which one is this? Who is this? Which, which prophetic time are we looking at right now? Which prophecies does he line up with? There was movement, John the Baptist. Hundreds of people going out into the middle of the wilderness to be baptized in a baptism of repentance and preparation for the coming of the Messiah. This is, this is revival stuff. And then that John announces, I'm not the Messiah, just in case you're wondering, because he needed to answer that question. That was what the people were waiting for. But he is coming. It's time for you to get ready. That's what I'm here to do. I'm the one who prepares the way of the Lord. And then John baptizes a bloke named Jesus, who then spends the next three years doing his public ministry with all eyes on him. Think of all of the mighty works. That's what it says. All the mighty works that have taken place through the public ministry of Jesus. The years of miracles, lepers cleansed, people healed of of all sorts of diseases. The profound preaching which came with authority and power and insight and was not at all like the kind of preaching they were used to listening to. The slow journey south, you hear the the hubbub coming. He travels through Samaria, most of them don't, through Jericho, he's, he's, he's heading south, he's coming, oh my goodness, he's heading towards Jerusalem, we all see the showdown is coming, we all, we all know where this ends. And then just the other day, just the other day, maybe even earlier this week, um, he arrived in Bethany, just to the west of Jerusalem, like a day's walk. It's, only, it's like 25 k's or something, it's not huge. Um, where he, Jesus, very publicly raised a man from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb several days and is no longer there. And John's Gospel tells us that word had gotten out, that the people knew that Jesus had done this. And so this guy who had the whole countryside talking about him, who is ministering in authority and power, the miracles of God are with him, the prophecies of God are being fulfilled, how could we conclude anything else? This is the guy, it's really happening. This is the big one, this is what we've been waiting for. God is on the move in our lifetime. What are the chances? How blessed are we to be living through these sorts of events? He comes over the hill on a donkey. Verse 37, we'll pick up the story again. And as he was drawing near, the crowd just goes ballistic. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king, understand, this is a people under Roman occupation. That's treason. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. They're frothing, right? They're ready to go. This is, it's, this is, it's all on. They had concluded beyond the shadow of a doubt, this man is the Messiah, the promised one, the coming king, the Lord's own anointed. All of the promises that we have been waiting for to come true. 
are now coming true. Can you even imagine the emotion of the day? Which is what makes the next bit odd. Going from verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, what are the Pharisees again? They're religious leaders who take God very seriously, are well-respected in the community. We, like, we know the word Pharisee as an insult because Jesus fought with them all the time, but that's odd that the Pharisees would fight with the Messiah. If we were living in the first century and we wanted to learn about the Messiah, we would have asked the Pharisees, what is he going to be like? They were the people in the know. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they're calling him the king. Because they're saying he comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Which is true, by the way. God is going to get his praise, whether it's from from us or from the dirt. But he's going to get it. And so the question becomes, what is it about Jesus that meant that he was not universally accepted, especially amongst the Hebrews. I mean, the Romans, the Romans have an idea. The Romans have a reason to be a bit worried about that day, don't they? But the Hebrews, the Hebrew leaders, the, the scribes and the lawyers and, and the Pharisees, what on earth is it about Jesus that puts these people on edge? What is it about the coming of the Messiah that got their goat to the point where they were willing to commit murder to do away with this man. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't all the Hebrews be happy about this? And I think by way of answer, the best thing I can do is I can show you the, the city of Jerusalem. I've got a picture of it here, hopefully, that you can see. I hope that works well. Am I in the way? If this is, this is a, a picture of, it's just a painting of what Jerusalem would have looked like in the first century. Um, and what you can see is two main buildings that dominate the skyline. Over here on the right, closest to me, this is the Temple Mount. This is Herod's Temple. Um, and then off in the far side, which will be harder to see, is Herod's Palace. The two main buildings that dominate Jerusalem in the first city. Two, two large complexes. The two, the two biggest places, the two most important places in the whole city, one to the right, one to the left. If Jesus entered the gates and turned left on the day of the triumphal entry, he would have, I, I don't know if it's actually left, I'm guessing, depends on which gate he went in, I could have looked it up, didn't. Um, if, if he entered the gates and metaphorically turned left, he would have made his way to Herod's palace which was also home to the Roman barracks. If he had done that, he would have been doing precisely what the whole crowd was expecting him to do. Here comes the king, the Lord's anointed, the one who has salvation. What's he going to save us from? What I expect would have happened if he had done that, we're, we're, in, we're in hypothetical territory here, is that as Jesus turned left and made his way towards the palace, the great multitude that was standing outside with him would have flowed with him into the city, along the road, all the way to the palace, and a revolution would have occurred, a political revolution. The, the, there were not enough Roman soldiers in that city to fight everyone. The Romans would have, in all likelihood, been driven out of the city of Jerusalem that day and they would have been set free from political occupation. 
that, that decision would have had popular support. That was the thing that all the Hebrews wanted, including the Pharisees. We want to be God's people, free to worship our God and be the nation that God told us to be in the Old Testament. We don't think that we belong underneath the heel of an unbelieving nation, Gentile, uncircumcised nation ruling over us. No, we don't want this. Many believed, many believed, the most common belief about what Messiah was going to come and do was just this thing. He was going to come and set us free so we could be just like Israel was under King David the first time. They had understood from the Bible that the Messiah was coming, but they had misunderstood the purpose of his coming. But if that was what Jesus had come and done, I can imagine the Pharisees would have been his biggest supporters and all of their fights would have been amongst one another as they scrabbled for positions of influence in the new kingdom. But it had been clear for a while now that that was not what Jesus was doing because he was doing lots of things that those religious leaders didn't approve of before now. In his public teaching, which was profound, he would often criticize them and call them names. At one point, he called them the children of the devil. John 8, you can read that one, it's my favorite. He insisted that all of the Pharisees' extra rules didn't come from God, and what is more, that the Pharisees were serving the role of actively keeping people away from God. He'd say, that, he'd say this in public, he'd criticize them. That's why there are some people standing outside the city going, who, is, who does this joker think he is? And then perhaps the last straw was that as he entered the city of Jerusalem, instead of turning left, he turned the other way. He turned right, if you will. He came not to the palace to drive out the Romans, but rather the very first thing that Jesus did once he was inside those city walls, and you'll read about it during your, if you're doing the reading plan this week. The very first thing he did once he was inside the walls was to turn to the temple, and instead of driving out the Romans... He made a whip and drove out the money changers and the lenders. Do you understand? The, the arrival of God's king with all of the fanfare resulted in that same day, Jesus walking into their primary place of worship to confront false and hypocr hypocritical religion. Not of the Romans, but of the Jewish people. Come get him. Oh, no, not us. Hit them. You feel that moment? Because it turns out that Messiah came to clean house, to bring salvation, to set us free, starting at home, starting in me. Not to set them free from the Romans, but to set them free from their slavery to sin. To, to topple their idols and to restore the proper worship of God. My father said this would be a house of prayer. Has someone done that yet? There's an international house of pancakes. Is there an international house of prayer? It's been done. No, that's a good idea. We should have thought of that. Is it weird? Yeah. They always get there first somehow. Industrious, if nothing else. Do you understand? The Messiah came to take God's people from comfortable traditionalism and established power structures that were based in human laws and traditions to take them from that to being born again and made new and set free. To re-establish to re the worship that God rightly deserves to make sure that it is people and not rocks who cry out his praise. This plan, which the Messiah has, culminates <laughs> not in a revolution, 
but in a cross where he would die in their place and for their sin and then a resurrection through which he brings the faithful to new life in God. This is precisely why, precisely why, Jesus is offensive to the point where the Hebrews were willing to commit murder. This is why some didn't join in the Hosannas. This is why some changed their mind and decided that they would go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify. There is something in us, and by us I mean the human race, that hates it when God meddles where we feel he doesn't belong. That's the problem. That is something, that is the very something that Jesus came to save us from. Your biggest problem is not your circumstances. Your biggest problem is your sin. That's what sin is, by the way. Sin is the thing in us that makes us hate God. Sin is the thing in us that makes us view God in the, right, in the wrong way. Sin makes us think that God is our enemy and turns him into our enemy. It makes us hate him, do you understand? That's the problem. The problem of sin isn't that God hates us, it's that we hate him. We reject him. Not all sin looks like rabid atheism. Far, far too frequently, sin takes the form of religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy opposes the true God because when he comes, he exposes, he exposes it. He, he, he brings it into the light and sin prefers the darkness. And if we are to be saved from that sin, it needs to be confronted in us too. Our hypocrisy, our secrets, the way in which we are broken, not, not them who aren't here today, is the first thing that Jesus needs to come and deal with. And if we're going to be set free from those things, then my sin needs to be seen, brought into the light. It needs to be opposed. It needs to be flogged and driven out and then crucified. Or it will never let go of me. That's why today's exciting. The, the triumphal entry is a day which leaves us with two very vivid images of how the human race approaches God. We can receive him with shouts of joy and thanks and praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We can receive him as our king. Or we can reject him in bitterness and anger because he offends me. When we come near to him, this is what's going to happen. This is, as you draw near to Jesus across this Easter season, when we come near to him, this is what's going to happen. Instead of agreeing with us about what everyone else is getting wrong, he's going to turn and cleanse me from my sin and my flaws and cause me to grow. He's going to give me new life and eternal life under a new master, the God who loves me and the God who made me. But to do that, the old master has to go. He comes not to rescue us from the Romans, but to restore this temple of the Holy Spirit. Are we any different to them? 
If the arrival of Jesus today meant merely the removal of the problem of our negative circumstances, how much more popular would he be? Surface-level surface religion has never, been, has never been hotter. People still love it. Jesus freeing me from my poverty or my sickness or my loneliness or the futility of my job, that guy's very acceptable. Nobody's got a problem with him. He does those things. We're promised those things eventually. Just like eventually God had a plan to set his people free from the Romans. That was part of the plan. But it's not the first part of the plan. Second, after. Those aren't our largest problems. My largest problem is the dominion that sin has over me. That's the thing which needs the most urgent attention in my life. That's the thing that I hope church is on about for you and walking with Jesus is on about for you. That is the thing we don't always want. That is the thing we need the most. And so we're left with a simple and obvious question. As we, as we reflect on the, the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, where do you stand with Jesus today? You, you stand before him right now. Where do you stand with him? Have you embraced the, the cultural trend of the moment, which makes it real easy to be only aware of the sins of others? We're getting good at that, aren't we? Or, or are you here before Jesus that you might be cleansed and restored and made new? As we reenact this timeline together this year, what, what, are we, what are we hoping to see Jesus accomplish in me this Easter? There's two things we need. They're really two sides of the same coin in order to receive this Jesus properly and to experience the blessing that he came to give us. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance is a simple word. We, we use it um, sometimes, I think, without stopping to think of what it means. It means to turn. To, to, every time you've, you've taken a U-turn on the road, you've, you've essentially repented. It's, it's to, to, we're going this way, now I've turned around and I'm going this way. Repentance is to agree with God that my sin is sinful and to walk away from it. Are you tolerating sin in your life? I don't, I don't need to give you a list. You're a church. You, you, you do this a lot. You, you know, even, even as I say these things, that the Spirit is provoking you. There's this part of my life which I've been holding away from God, and it's, it's, time, to, it's time to bring it to Him. It's time to give it to Him and lay it down, to expose it, to deal with it. That's what repentance is. And repentance has as its close friend faith. Faith means that when we repent, we don't just turn away from sin. We turn to Jesus. We turn to God. We place our trust in him. And faith is what makes repentance possible. Because were, were it not for faith, I wouldn't believe that God would have me if I was to turn to him. Faith tells me that because of what Jesus has done for me, I will be acceptable to God, even though I'm stained and guilty and broken. Faith sets me free to repent. Where do you stand with Jesus today? In your heart, are you one of the ones welcoming the King who comes in the name of God? Or are you still stuck <laughs> being offended, 
destined to shout crucify. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.